Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. All right. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Doing good? Well, we are in our final week of awakening, and we are in, in my final class of First and Second Thessalonians. And so, uh, and tonight, as promised, I'm going to make sure we have enough time for questions. And so, not that I can guarantee I can answer them all, but we will, uh, we will definitely take some and just uh, try to, try to uh, shed as much light on things as we can. So, um, did everybody get the sheet that says week four on it? It's kind of a, a replacement. They're out there on that little table. Um, and it's kind of a replacement for the sheet I didn't get to last week. So um, uh, the bottom section of this is similar. I added a couple scriptures to it, but the top part is kind of a summary that I didn't have on there last week. So be sure you have that week four sheet. And uh, we'll go through that uh, in the first half uh, of the class tonight and just touch on some things. We're going to kind of wrap it up, you know, with uh, we may not have all the answers. I've, I've tried to put forth at least kind of a scenario as to what I, th I think the Bible is uh, teaching us, what Jesus is telling us about the end times. 
um, at least in a general overview, you know, we may not know every detail. Uh, and so that's going to be our summary of key points. But uh, really, maybe even more important than that, you know, is the encouragements, warnings, and exhortations where we really just can have our spiritual mindset, have our heart, you know, uh, uh, close to the Lord and, you know, uh, looking to him and, and in the right place, you know. So, um, so let's pray and then we'll dive into it. All right. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here. I know they're hungry, Lord, to uh, know more from you and, and the hope, the blessed hope, Lord, that we have in you of your, of your second coming and what we believe now is your soon return, Lord. So I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to understand more of your word tonight. And um, once again, we know we don't have to be afraid. We just need to be trusting in you. We just need to be close to you and uh, leaning upon your grace and power. Because greater are you that's in us than he that's in the world. And so, Father, tonight, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I've got four points down there on the summary of key points. Uh, because, you know, the, the more you talk about the details of this, you could just go forever, you know, especially when you dive into the book of Revelation. That, uh, but, uh, and, and so because of that, sometimes people can kind of get just a little confused or lost, you know, they kind of feel like they're in a little mouse maze or something. And so what I want to do is I just want to give four key points real quickly here uh, that we've really seen. We've really seen in First and Second Thessalonians along with a couple other scriptures that we've looked at uh, on the side of that, Matthew 24. And uh, we might look at a couple in Second Peter tonight. But anyway, point number one, the day of the Lord or the coming of Christ. And we remember we saw on the chart there the different words that is used to describe, you know, the second coming. And um, so there's various variations of that. But the, but the day of the Lord and uh, the coming of Christ, probably uh, the most common, you know, variations of that. So the day of the Lord or the coming of Christ is described in various ways. Therefore, it is an event that has various parts. And really, as we look at those parts, it can't occur in just one literal day. And so, you know, you can look at that diagram once again there, you know, but just to touch on a couple things here. Uh, the day of the Lord is always described in the Bible as, as a negative thing. It talks about darkness and judgment and fire and all that kind of stuff. So really what we're looking at there, you know, is we would call that the bowls. We're not going to go there, but the bowls in Revelation, which really is the outpouring of God's wrath. If you just look at that, there's no way that can take place in one day. It's just too much, you know. Also, we looked at in First and Second Thessalonians where it talked about the Lord coming for his people. And then it talked about the Lord coming with his people. Okay? So, uh, and if we're not going to be here during the wrath, that means pretty much the rapture has to be before the bulls. So, God catch it. We, we looked at last time, you know, the whole shortening thing. And, and so, really, the day of the Lord what, is not a, not a literal day, but what it is, it's this time frame right here. Okay? This time frame right here is the day of the Lord. And what happens during the day? We could also call it the second coming. 
you know. And so it's, there's a lot of things that are happening there. Judgment is taking place on the earth, you know, right here through the bowls. And we have been, the Lord came for us. That's a whole lightning thing when we're raptured, you know. And so the Bible's clear. We're not appointed to wrath, you know. And um, we read the scriptures about us escaping, okay. So that's all happening right here. But also there's scriptures about him coming with the saints, we got Revelation 19. He's coming riding out of heaven on a white horse, you know. Now, Matthew 24, the lightning doesn't say anything about white horse. So they're two different things, but they're taking place in the same time frame. So it's what the Bible, all that is, all that is very dramatic, and it's what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, but it's not a literal day, you know. So remember, we always take the Bible literally unless we're forced not to. Okay, And so really, when you look at what the Bible calls the day of the Lord and the second coming, we're forced to have to see that can't take place in just one literal day. So we come back with, and then of course, this is then where Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth. Okay, So this period of time here, what, what we would call the day of the Lord, is, um, and, and we don't know exactly how long that is, because we don't know exactly when you know, the rapture takes place. So, but I just, that's point number one. I think, I think you just got to give that when you look at the different descriptions of what happens in the second coming. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, in, in some classic pre-tribulate, what's well, called pre-tribulation teaching, really I have to call it pre-Daniel 70th week, but a lot of people put the rapture way out here, you know, and so it separates these two, you know, way too far because according to Matthew 24, uh, it's really got to be over here, which leads me to point number two, okay? We will see Antichrist revealed in the temple. We saw that clearly in Second Thessalonians. I think that's myself. Now, I guess if people want to try to take the Scripture and jump through a bunch of wild hoops, you know, I mean, let them do what they want to do. But to me, that is so clear. You know, it's just straightforward and clear because they were worried they had missed the rapture. They were worried the day of the Lord was happening, you know, and somehow they didn't know what was going on. And Paul said, no, no, that day will not come, you know, until the man of sin is first revealed. And then he goes on to talk about him going into the temple. Well, first of all, the temple has to be rebuilt for that to happen. And so we'll see Antichrist revealed in the temple. And that's clearly in the middle of Daniel's 70th week that that happens. All right, so once again, that is Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 28. And of course, this section right here, when, when Daniel was prophesying from the time of the rebuilding of the temple, the 69 sevens, okay, that was literally fulfilled. I mean, we can go back and study history and see that. It's not difficult to see that. So why would we think the last seven years is anything but literal, anything but real, you know? And so uh, uh, anyway, and of course, it's in this section here, as well as in Matthew 24, what Jesus called, he, Jesus referenced this, the abomination of desolation, and it's very clear. Daniel says it happens in the middle of the seven. So if Antichrist is revealed and goes into the temple in the middle of the seven, and the seven begins with his covenant with Israel, which hasn't happened yet. That is the next 
major thing, as far as I can tell, in the Bible, that is the next major prophetic signpost. I mean, we're going to sense a lot of things in our spirit leading up to that. I think we're sensing it already even now. But that's the next major. So, and, and Daniel's clear on that. And then, of course, in the middle of the seven, so this is three and a half years, and this is three and a half years. And so Paul makes it clear that we're going to see Antichrist do that. Walk into the temple, the abomination of desolation. We're going to see that. And um, so uh, uh, in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, the final seven years before Jesus sets up the kingdom of God on earth. And we will then rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. That will be cool. <laughs> right? It'll be awesome, you know? And, um, okay, then point number three is the time we are here after Antichrist is revealed, which is this time right here. So we're here. We know we're here. You know, Paul tells us that. How long are we going to be here after that? Well, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 24. He said it's going to be cut short. He just didn't say how short. But it will be cut short. It has to be cut short because we can't be here for the wrath of God. It's clear all over the New Testament we're not appointed to wrath. We've been saved. We're, we're, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. You are no longer under God's judgment. You know, we'll be granted rewards according to, you know, serving the Lord. I mean, God is a good God. He, he'll reward us as we honor him and serve him. So we're not under his wrath. What, what, the, the, what we'll experience, you know, is not the wrath of God, we might experience some of the wrath of Satan. Because how many of you know he hates God's people, right? And he doesn't like what we're doing, you know. But um, so we have to, the scriptures we read on escape. So, I mean, if you're going to escape something, there has to be something to escape. (laughs) So obviously it can't just be right here. So it can't be totally post-tribulation. I mean, in in the sense of what post-trib people describe it. You know, so it's got to be somewhere in the midst of this stuff here. And that's why Jesus said it'll be cut short. Now, you can't cut short Daniel's 70th week. That's prophesied. It's going to be seven years. It's prophesied. So what's what's being cut short is the amount of time that we're here in the midst of that, you know. And so then we'll be raptured before the end of those final seven years. And we are not appointed to suffer God's wrath. So um, we just don't know how long that is. I wouldn't mind it being 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> I got to feel it'll probably be a little longer than that. But, um, all right, and then number four, finally, is the closer we get to the end. So the closer we get moving, you know, and we're, we're moving right here or somewhere, you know. The closer we get to that, uh, you know, to the, and then into Daniel's final week of seven years, the world will get crazy and more evil and we will face persecution. See, we're not going to face God's wrath, but I'll guarantee you we will face Satan's wrath. And there's passages like in Revelation where Satan is cast down to earth and he knows that his time is short and it says he has great wrath. So he hates God. He hates God's people. So we're not appointed to God's wrath, but we will face persecution. As well as there's going to be general issues going on in the world which is the whole thing of the beginning of birth pains. And you, you guys know, especially you ladies know, the closer you get to delivery, the closer together the pains get, the harder the labor gets. And that's exactly a spiritual picture of what's going to be happening on planet Earth. But we'll have an opportunity during that time because once again, is there anything that um, God is going to allow to defeat his people? 
No. Romans 8. I, Paul said, I'm convinced neither life nor death nor angels or demons. It's a long list. Can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. So all we have to do really is just, hey, just throw ourselves on Jesus. Put ourselves, you know, at the mercy of Jesus. And he's got more than enough grace to keep us and empower us. Amen? So, you know, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just, it's just really realizing that, that Jesus really, I think, wants to demonstrate to people his glory, his grace, his goodness through people that have already found him, you and me. And also, I think, I think the Lord's going to kind of get a little bit of a kick out of the fact that Antichrist can do everything he wants to do, but there's going to be people that are going to love Jesus and are going to refuse to bow their knee no matter what. Amen? Like the little the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, you know. And that's in the book of Daniel, too. Be it known unto thee, O king. Hey, you know, I mean, uh, uh, our God is well able to deliver us from you. <laughs> and he did. But they went on to say, but if not, be it known, we will not bow down to your idols, you know. And um, so uh, that's, a, that's a great story. King Nebuchadnezzar definitely had a problem with schizophrenia because one moment he was, he was throwing him into the furnace for not bowing down to him. And the next moment he's exalting the God of heaven. <laughs> one moment in his pride he's out eating grass, you know. The next moment he's going, there's no God like the God in heaven. <laughs> anyway, so he had a little spiritual <laughs> journey there. <laughs> okay, so those are what I consider four key points, you know, that, I mean, I just look at those as, I guess the simplest way for me to say it is just clear. I look at them as being clear, you know, in the scriptures. Um, I wouldn't be so foolish as to say God couldn't ever change my mind on something if he showed me something, you know, that would, but, but I just got to say, you know, I mean, I started off in my early days as a classic pre-tribulation rapture guy. I went from there to kind of a amillennial time where I thought it was just kind of all spiritual and I got so lost in the spiritual bubble I realized eh, I don't think that's it you know <laughs> so then I went to a post trip for a while you know and so I've kind of you know I've kind of been up but but really just I have to be honest the more I've studied it and looked at it you know I, I've just I've kind of come to a a balance of all that and I, I just see it you know, as um, really what I'm sharing with you guys now. And so I don't think we know every last little thing that's going to happen during that time. And, pro and probably as we get into questions tonight, we'll see, you know, that maybe we can't pin down, nail down every single thing about what's going to happen during that time. Because like what I said in the first coming, how would you ever know how to take the prophetic scripture? Out of Egypt, I've called my son. How would you figure that one out until it actually happened where Herod was killing babies. The angel gave Joseph a dream and he took Jesus, Jesus to Egypt. I mean, there's not enough scripture to know what was going to happen until, you know, the only way you know is being in the middle of it. So there's probably some things like that, some details that we won't know everything. You know, it's the whole idea of a map versus a guide, you know. And, and Anna and Simeon, man, in the first coming, they walked into the temple picked up Jesus and said, man, I've seen the salvation of God, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's what you call being guided by the Holy Spirit, you know? Because they, they, you know, so they were in the midst of it. And I think it'll be the same way with us. 
you know, as we, if we are alive during this time, that God will guide us by the Holy Spirit and he'll, he can have us at the right place at the right time and show us, you know, what to do uh, and that whole thing. But as I look at those four points, I go, wow, man, you know, in all my years now of looking at the Bible, I just have to say that's pretty clear. You know, I just see them as pretty clear. So I hope, you know, you can, I encourage you to keep reading all the prophetic scriptures, but, but um, uh, hopefully those four will maybe help you a little bit um, to uh, have a little framework, you know. And so, and really this, this quick little diagram up here is, is a, a, a simple framework of it. And of course, you know, all through the book of Revelation, it talks about times, times and a half a time. That's three and a half, 1260 days. A Jewish year is 360 days. That's three and a half years. So the whole book of Revelation is tying back to Daniel's prophecy, you know? So it's like, and it was all literal, literally fulfilled in back before the cross. So to me, that's pretty clear that, that, um, uh, not that we can't apply the book of Revelation to things today. We can, but I think it's primary push, you know, is future. Okay, so um, let me move on real quickly here. And let's, let's just look a little bit about encouragements, warnings, and exhortations. A couple of these I touched on last time. But actually, this is, this is the kind of good stuff that really helps you um, be moved and stirred and motivated, you know, to have your heart... Um, really, you know, following after God. And so one, we're to look forward to his coming. We know the world system cannot ultimately fulfill us. You know, if we make the world our God, it just becomes idolatry. It's our ultimate fulfillment. Obviously, we're to, Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of it. So we're to be salt, we're to be light, but basically it's kind of like the world system is corrupt. You know, this is really not our home in the sense of the world system. So we do need to be looking forward to his coming. He's going to bring his kingdom. It's going to be a whole lot better than this. Amen. You know, so, and then number two, you know, we talked about don't, we're not, we're not to grieve like those who have no hope. It doesn't say don't grieve. When we lose a loved one, I was, I felt, I felt tremendous loss when Ron Mooring went to heaven, you know, but, um, but also we don't grieve like those that have no hope at all. We know where he is, right? He's with Jesus, you know? And so, um, uh, I don't have time to tell you a story, but one time the Lord kind of tricked me and he had me do a funeral where there wasn't a single Christian. And I went and I did that funeral. It's a long story, but, but I, 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 it was like the Lord showed me again. He goes, I just want you to see what it's like for those that have no hope. And I went, oh my God. You know, we get around Christians so much, we forget what it's like, you know? And, uh, and so it was a wonderful opportunity for me to, to um, preach the gospel. I'll tell you what, I felt for the first five minutes of my message, I was like plowing mud. <laughs> it was rough, you know, but it was amazing as I just kind of kept going, you know, kept going. It was like the Holy Spirit started to work and all of a sudden, you know, I could, I could see a little more interest out there, you know, and it was just like, I go, wow, man, you know, God can bring people hope. The gospel can bring people hope. So uh, every once in a while too, you know, that whole thing of the resurrection body, being resurrected and, and, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, we were joking around, you know, that now, now that Ron's gone to heaven, he gets to rise before us if we're still alive when Jesus comes. But uh, sometimes I get asked questions like, how could God put your body back together? What if you were blown to bits in a war or something like that? I mean, the simplest thing I could say is this. I don't think it's any problem for God. 
I don't think it's any problem because it says it's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. So it's different in ways anyway. So I don't think God has to find the specific molecule <laughs> because the molecules will probably be different anyway, you know. And, uh, but I don't think that's a problem for God. But also another thing I get asked every once in a while is what about cremation, you know. And I'm just going to give you my personal opinion on it is that I can't find anything in the Bible that says it's wrong or that it's sinful or something like that. Some people sometimes feel like it's um, not honoring the body, but I don't necessarily feel that. I mean, the Bible actually does say dust to dust, ashes, you know, to ashes. And so, um, I I mean, you know, I, I have no problem with people doing it either way. Uh, obviously, some there's some practical considerations that have driven it more today. But even like in war, if you have multiple people that are killed, what is the sanitary thing they do? They burn the bodies, you know. And so, um, uh, I personally don't have any problem with it, you know. Uh, my mom had my dad cremated, and um, uh, we've had other people in our family that were laid out, you know. I just think really it kind of gets down to personal preference, you know, and. Um, it's kind of silly. I mean, it's not an idol, but my mom still has my dad's ashes on the mantle, you know. I just think it's almost like a visual touch point for her. You know, I mean, she doesn't worship it or he doesn't speak from the box, you know. So, you know, but it's just, you know, it's just a, it's just a I don't know, a reminder, you know. And I think the way she thinks of it, because she's a strong spirit-filled Christian, the way she thinks of it is, wow, it's cool, you know. There's my hubby in that box, but he's going to come in a resurrection body when Jesus returns. So anyway, that's just my personal opinion. I don't think it's worth Christians arguing over. I think Christians argue too much over stuff anyway. Just, you know, if somebody has faith before God for it, you know, hey, just have faith, you know. And uh, let's major in the majors and minors in the minors. All right. Then number three, be on your guard, clear-headed, not asleep, but awake, this is probably one of the more important ones. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's flip there real quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 to 8, Paul is very strong about this. You know, he says, he says, but you aren't in the dark about those things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day, so we don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light uh, be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So it's a real strong exhortation, you know, to, and really, in a way, it kind of is similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. You know, Really, it's not going to really matter even how all this stuff happens if you just stay ready. Just stay ready, you know. So that's a great exhortation. You know, I will say this. I don't think Paul would have any reason to say to be on your guard and be clear-headed if we weren't going to have to walk through something. You know, whatever you want to call it, whenever it would happen. I I wouldn't see any reason for that if somehow there was this mysterious pluck you out at any moment. You know, so they had a sense of, of the Lord coming at any time, even in the New Testament. But the, the sense of it coming at any time was that, what, was that really Antichrist could appear at any time and they would need to be ready. 
you know, and, uh, and the birth pains could happen at any time. Because Jesus talked about the birth pains way back then. They just didn't know when it was going to all happen or start. You know, we actually have a better view now because we even see more. Revelation hadn't even been written yet. So we really have a clearer view and we can see, I think, even clearer some of the timing of that. But that's an important one. Number three. Uh, number four is don't be shaken about the Lord's coming, uh, but recognize the times uh, and the signs there. And so uh, that's that whole thing about where Paul told them, you know, Antichrist has to come on the scene first. This thing is not going to catch us unawares. It will catch many people totally unaware, you know. And uh, uh, you have people today saying what, what Peter said over in Second Peter. Where is the promise of his coming? You know, what, what, from the beginning of the world, they said he's going to come. I, we haven't seen him yet, you know. And so uh, as it begins to happen... It is going to sneak up on a lot of them just exactly, you know, as it did uh, in Noah's day. And so, but uh, uh, we, we need to, no reason for us to be shaken because we understand, you know, the prophetic picture and, um, and how that's going to happen. I wanted to read you, let's see, Second Thessalonians 2. I wanted to see if that's what... Um, Okay, no, that's not the one I wanted. I'll come to it just a little bit later. Okay, so anyway, that's number four. You know, we understand how that's going to happen. All right, number five, be strong in the character of Christ. Again, very similar to number three about being on your guard. But, but this has a little different emphasis. Paul here talks in these passages, you know, and, and, he, and he does it in light of Antichrist appearing. Uh, he calls the, there, there's a rebellion or an apostasy. And a falling away is another way to describe that. And that's really what is happening in our world today. There's more and more a turning away from God, a rebellion, an apostasy. And actually, it impacts certain parts of the church. Because right now, you know, how many of you know you can't even really go by what name's on the door anymore? You've got to go by what's going on inside. It's who's, who, the, who, what kind of leadership is there? What kind of spirit's in the place? Because really, the Bible prophesies there will be a false one-world church in the end times. And I'll tell you right now, I know it just as well as I know my name. Some groups that will go into that are groups that, that would even, at least in the past, have been labeled Christian. So, um, you know, we just need to understand that, that the name is, is, is not what's important. What's important is what's going on in the lives of the people and so the true church is not necessarily an institutional church. The true church, because Jesus, you know, it's my point uh, 10, you know, when they, when they were saying, Lord, look at all these buildings, man. That was institutionalism there. And Jesus said, you see these buildings? Not one stone will be left on that. Why? Because it was institutional religion. It wasn't a heart after God. And so, you know, um, we want to be strong in the character of Christ. Let me just turn to 2 Timothy 3 there real quickly. And this really fits with my point four. And again, remember what we said, Scripture has got to interpret Scripture. If something is a key point, and I think all four of those are key points up there at the top, there's got to be more than just one little isolated Scripture. Well, for instance, you know, in 2 Thessalonians 2, talks about the rebellion and the falling away. But look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. He says this, but understand this, 
So he's wanting us to understand it, to say that. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. So rebellion, apostrophe, birth pains, all the same stuff. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Should I stop? Brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness or a form of religion, some translations say, but denying its power. No power of the blood, no power of the spirit, you know. Avoid such people. What he's meaning is don't make that your kind of faith. So um, obviously that scripture, that, that deals with character, see. So if we let Christ build his character in us, then when a test comes or we're faced with a decision, you know, by the grace of God still, though, I mean, not in our own ability, but by the grace of God, you know, we can can make the right decision. So allowing Christ to form his character, which, you know, another way of saying that's the fruit of the Spirit, you know, that's important. That helps us be uh, able to to stand up. And, you know, I mean, obviously, how many of you have kids or teenagers at home and you've run into challenging situations in our modern society, right? So you you try to build character in them, you know, where, where they stand for the Lord, even though maybe they're friends, maybe even their friends' parents, aren't even doing, you know. So I've had my kids at different times say, you know, say, well, so-and-so gets to do that, you know. Are their parents even let them do that? And so my favorite line has become, just remember Noah. His whole family was saved and the rest of them dudes drowned. (laughs) And look at me like, huh, let me think about that. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a free tip for you parents out there. Okay. And, you know, obviously that could lead into telling of a great Bible story, you know, and Noah was a preacher of righteousness. All right. Number six, um, avoid false prophets. Some will even work miracles. Sorry for the dyslexic typo there. (laughs) C and L reversed. (laughs) When you weren't taught to type, you know, it, was, it really was not a guy thing to type when I was in school, you know. So I've had to develop my own system. It gets a little dyslexic at times, so I get a few letters reversed. But anyway, avoid false prophets. Jesus talked about that. And um, there will be some crazy things going on as we get closer to the end. And just because somebody actually has uh, the ability uh, to work a miracle um, doesn't necessarily mean the miracle is from God. So you got to use discernment. Usually there's um, wrong motives behind stuff like that. The two most common motives are money and sex. <laughs> uh, gals and gold. And then the next one is glory. Usually they're very much a one-man show, no accountability, uh, often strutting around like peacocks, not the humility of the Lord. So you got you to just use discernment, you know. And that's, there's a boldness in God that's okay. There's a boldness and a confidence, you know, that's good. But um, there's also stuff out there, you know, that um, is, uh, you know, false prophets type thing. And the more we get closer to the coming of the Lord, the more, you know, we need people that are strong in character, solid in the Lord, good leaders, stuff like that. So, um, 
You know, and I think that that may be something we see increase um, as time goes on. And so number seven is just simply be ready. You know, that's what Jesus said. I, I don't think you can say it any better than Jesus said. He just said, be ready. Well, what does be ready mean? Probably everything I've said in one through six. <laughs> just be ready, you know, be close to the Lord, be leaning upon him, you know, be seeking to love him and please him. And then really it won't matter, you know, when the rapture happens. It won't matter if we got it exactly right or not, you know, that we want to we wanna be ready. So, and again, I, I have to say, though, I don't think there would be any point in Jesus saying be ready if there wasn't going to be some sort of tests and trials the church would have to stand in, you know. And um, I think in those times we can demonstrate the glory of God, which brings me to number eight. Realize we will need to endure, but that it will work for our good. I think I read to you James 1 last week, so let me read to you 1 Peter 1 this week. This, this, and again, remember, Scripture interprets Scripture, so... We, we saw last week in James where he said, count it all joy when you come into these various troubles. We go, yeah, right, James, okay. <laughs> but, but really, he's right, you know, because it exercises our faith muscles. It helps us grow, you know. You know, the hardest part about going to the Y is getting going, right? That's the hardest part, you know. Once you get there, oh, man, I feel better. The blood's flowing, um, you know. All that kind of stuff. So spiritually, it's true too. Sometimes we don't like walking through the tests and trials, but if once we get in it and we purpose to follow Christ no matter what, you know, oh man, we feel that rush of spiritual adrenaline and you feel God's presence and he's working in your life. And actually, how many of you have just been amazed at how God's actually changed you? You know, I go, wow, I used to be really a jerk, you know. Now, now I'm only half one, you know, or whatever. So it's like, I mean, you just, it's, just, it's you know, God changing you. And so it's, it's cool, you know. So anyway, First Peter chapter 1, you know, he says here um, kind of the same thought in, in verse 5. You know, um, uh, well, let's actually pick it up a, a, a couple of verses earlier. Go all the way to 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he's keeping it for you. Now watch this. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So when we put our faith in Christ and we follow Christ in our faith walk and, and we, we don't allow forces in the world, you know, to pull us away, but we follow Christ um, in our faith walk there, God's power actually guards us. You know, I mean, he's going to watch over you in these times through faith. Now watch this for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we haven't experienced yet all that God has for us. There's going to be a grace on us. There's going to be a power. There's going to be an anointing. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former house. The best is yet to come. Jesus saved the best wine for last, you know. And so there's going to be, and of course, when the Lord comes, you know, and we receive our resurrection body, I mean, that's really awesome. You know, we'll all be changed, the Bible says. But so the whole idea, you know, there is that, um, you know, it's a salvation ready to be revealed. Now watch this verse 6. In this you rejoice, which we do, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials 
So that, why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So see, that's that whole thing of, yeah, we'll walk through some tests and trials, but all it's going to do is purify the church and we're going to shine like crazy in the darkness, you know? And so, uh, so kind of the same thought of James. And so, yeah, we need to endure, but it's all going to work for our good. It's like working your muscles at the gym, you know? And except this is spiritually, it's going to make you stronger and make you better. And again, it's, it's, it's not your own power, but it's the grace of God. So, um... How many of you know it would be a pretty good deal to jump into the ring in a fight if you were guaranteed you'd win? That'd be a pretty good deal. How many of you know we are on the winning side? So listen, get in the ring. Get in the ring. You're guaranteed to win. Don't give Satan any kind of victory by default. Get in the ring. Now listen, you might lose a round or two. But this thing goes 12 rounds. And Jesus said, you hang in there for 12 rounds. Trust me, I guarantee you're going to win. Can't beat that, right? So, I mean, what, what awesome promises, you know, we have from the Lord. But there is good things. It's just like a, a fighter would improve with every fight, you know. I mean, we, we, we grow, and I believe we're going to bring glory to God. All right, number nine is be faithful to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom and God's church and family. In Matthew 24, this is, um, this is kind of a heavy passage, but I just want you to flip there for a minute. I, and i got to quit because... Uh, I want to take questions here. Matthew 24, but this is, this is a pretty, pretty powerful passage here from Jesus, you know. And uh, he says, and, and ver, let's pick it up in verse 42. This goes along with being ready. He says, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You almost be, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when we when least expected. And I will say this, this could start happening very quickly and we not even, you know, realize how fast it's happening. And the whole thing in Matthew 25 and the virgins, you know, we, we need to have our lamps filled, you know, with oil now. But then he goes on and says this, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master, listen to this now, the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. What that's talking about there is that as we grow in the Lord, we need to have our hands on other people's lives. We need to have our hands on people's lives that need encouragement, need strength, need to know more about Jesus, you know. And... Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've had days in ministry, I've had times where I go, oh man, I think I'd just rather go skiing, <laughs> you know, I'd rather go scuba diving, I think I'd rather go do anything, you know, I'm just tired, you know, but you know what, the Lord, the Lord reminds me, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season, you're going to reap if you don't faint, you know, so, um, you know, so Jesus is saying here, you know, to... Um, to be to, to, to reach out. We're, we're to love one another. We're to strengthen one another. We're to help one another. And so he said, this is where it gets kind of heavy. He goes, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. So God's a good God. He's a rewarder. He said, I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all 
He owns. It's all God's, but he's going to give some of it to you. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, ah, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In, the pl- in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew, that's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? So what he's saying is, you know, we just, let's not, let's not back off and, and wuss out and wimp out, you know, on building the church and building the kingdom. But uh, there's, and I'll tell you, there are going to be a lot of people in the days ahead that are going to need the touch of God's grace. And so those of us, especially that have been in the Lord for a while, you know, God wants us to, during those times, you know, reach out and touch it. So that's number uh, nine, be faithful to the kingdom and God's church and family. God, God will reward you. And uh, number 10, it's a body, not a building. We talked about God needs buildings. We build buildings. We, we've built buildings. Buildings are great, but they're only tools for the body. We don't want just buildings and no spirit, right? <laughs> you know, it's the people in the building that obviously the buildings are for. And then number 11, taking the prophetic word to heart. All these different prophetic scriptures we've been talking about, take them to heart, you know, read them and, uh, you know, make them part of your Christian life. Why is that? Because it motivates you. It motivates you to look ahead to what really counts, keeps you from just getting totally comfortable, you know, in this world system and maybe losing sight of, um, of what God wants to do. So real quickly, I'm going to give you first Peter, turn to first Peter, and I'll just touch on a couple of these very quickly because I haven't given you anything from Peter yet. I want to give you just a little bit. So second Peter chapter one and, uh, beginning in verse 12 there, he says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He got, the Lord had actually shown Peter that he would not be around that much longer. Uh, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's one of the reasons why I'm recording all this. It's one of the reasons why I do notes. You know, I've kind of spearheaded that whole thing. It's one of the reasons. I just gave Clarence my diagram tonight of heaven, hell, and the underworld, you know. And so he couldn't remember all that. Well, that's what Peter's talking about. He says, I want to remind you of this stuff, you know, so you can, you can, um, you can keep going forward and stuff like that. And so you'll be able to recall these things. For we, now, I love this. Watch this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. What I'm telling you tonight, this is not a cleverly devised myth. This is stuff that's going to happen, you know. And so he says, uh, when we made known to you, what did he, and you know, some people think, you know, oh yeah, but, but he said, no, this is not a cleverly devised myth. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, what's he talking about there? Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus turned white. In his presence, you know, he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God, the father, and the voice was, was, uh, born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You remember that's what the father said there. 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, or actually literally in the Greek, it, it kind of has this idea of, and the prophetic word is made more sure. So uh, let me read it to you in the, uh, in the, golly, I need about, I need time to slow down here. For this. <laughs> I, I love the way it says it in the NLT. Um, it says, uh, just, it, it's, and I think really it's a very good translation of it. Um, He says this. He said, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. See, they read it all, but all of a sudden on the Mount Transfiguration, they saw it. <laughs> they saw Jesus, you know. And, uh, and I love that translation. You know, we have even greater. And then listen to what he says next. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. Why? Because it's all going to happen. It's coming. For their words, I love the way he describes it, their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Verse 20, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And so one translation says, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private or personal interpretation. That's why Scripture must always interpret Scripture. That's why I'm taking you back and forth to other Scriptures with what we're seeing in Second Thessalonians. All right. The other one there from Peter, I'd love to read it, but we don't have time. So what I want to do is I want to open it up for questions. And so that we can get it on tape, um, I'm going to... Uh, Take this, my coach. You want to help me with this? If you can, can you help me with that? So, um, and it, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be just out of First and Second Thessalonians, but kind of anything uh, related to uh, you know what we're in here on the second coming. We'll, we'll take. All right. So let's go with one here. All right, Mary Jane. Yes. Oh, this is just awesome, and I'm almost hesitant, reluctant to ask my question because all of the beauty. Uh, of, of what we can expect, even with um, the rapture part. So I've been thinking for days um, about this. And when the uh, Antichrist comes on the scene, mm -hmm. and we've all heard about that probably since we were young Christians. Right. My question is, will Satan himself move in and take over the body of this human being, whoever he's going to be, or is the Antichrist really Satan taking on human form? Okay, I think it could be either. Um, we know it's possible for angels okay. to take on human form, and Satan is yes. a fallen angel. He's, yes. His name, before he was Satan, is Lucifer. He's an archangel. And so Michael, obviously, uh, you know, Mary... You know, um, Gabriel there appeared. We have Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And um, so they can take on a human body. So it's very possible. And when you add some scriptures in Revelation about Satan being cast to earth, yes. I mean, that, that can create a scenario where, yes, it's very possible 
that Antichrist is literally, I mean literally, Satan in the flesh. And so there's scriptures that talk about he's given a mouth like a dragon, says great swelling words, uh, different things like that. Or it also is possible that that he is a human being and that uh, just totally, fully possessed by Satan. I I think either one of those could be true. Because, you know, people speculate um, it's going to be this person, it's going to be that person. I mean, we, Hitler, you know, I mm. mean, people have named all kinds of different things. But yep. I started thinking, too. And people was, like Hitler are, definitely have oh, yeah, the but, spirit of Antichrist. Yes, yeah. First John. Full blown. Uh, the Apostle yeah. John actually talked about the man of sin, but he said many Antichrists, you know. So there's, there's uh, those would be prophetic forerunners of this final push of Satan, you know, to defeat God, take over planet Earth, get people. Obviously, it's a worship thing. The whole mark of the beast is a worship thing, you know. So, so yeah, but, and that will happen, you know, when, when this really starts happening. That's when it's happening. Yeah, and it'll begin with the covenant. This is where we'll really start to see what's happening, you know. Yeah, Bert? Well, verses 16, 17, 18, and Matthew 24, I often wondered just why the individuals were told to flee to the mountain to, to go down, not to go down into the housetop or go back to get their clothes. Just what are they saying in this, uh, this, these scriptures? Why, why were they told to do this? What does it mean? Okay, hang on one second. Let me, let me get there. Matthew 24, what verses? 16, 17, and 18. 16, 17, and 18. Yeah, then those in Judea must flee to the hills. What, and, of course, that's a very specific thing that Jesus is talking about there. We get into a lot of stuff here about what's going on in Israel. Um, and there's no question. I think Cheryl Lee was talking about it last week, you know, about this is a big time. This is the missing seven from, and this was a prophecy about Israel. So when Israel rejected Christ, then this is the times of the Gentiles. This is when the gospel went to the... Now, does that mean that no Jewish person can get saved during this time? No, it doesn't mean that. God is not that, that, that you know, delineated with people. Whenever someone turns to him in their heart, you know, um, he can save them and touch them. But this is still... The big emphasis, obviously, for the last 2,000 years has been the gospel going all over the world to the Gentiles. But Jewish people are getting saved. Same thing here. God is turning his attention more to Israel. That's why, that's why everything... Have you noticed about like half of the news centers on Israel? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's coming to this. God, you know, Jesus is Jewish. Those are his natural brothers, you know. And so he's not done with Israel yet, you know. And so, and I totally forgot what I was going to say about all that. But, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, uh, um, that whole thing of fleeing to Judea. When, when, when this point comes right here, that is the direct word of Jesus that the Jewish people need to flee to Judea. And actually, there's going to be, it talks about the Lord actually protecting them and Satan throwing water out of his mouth, Revelation 12 there. and, and uh, But there will be Jewish people that will follow Antichrist. I mean, you just try to just get away from the area then, in other words. Jesus said, uh, don't even come down and get nothing out of your house. Get out of no matter there. what. Because when he comes into that temple, I, I don't know what all is going to happen, but somehow there's going to be, Zechariah prophesies two-thirds of the nation of Israel is going to perish. That's a heavy-duty prophecy. So, um, you know, that's a specific instruction of Jesus. Get out of Israel. Is that going to be after the temple thing? 
Uh, I think I, I would I would think so. Yes, I mean I, I don't see anything significant enough happening before that 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 would actually cause something that that radical, you know. And uh, okay, next question. Got another question here. Cool. Yes, sir. Let, let, let me get a mic over to you though, so we can get this on tape. That's a double mic. And if anything gets too wild tonight, we'll just edit it out. You know. And so. uh. What does avoiding false prophets mean, especially like Islam? Yes, I think, you know, um, uh, there's no question that when you look a little further up in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about false, false prophets there. That's kind of in more the time of the birth pains. And actually, I think, yeah, that's, we, we touched on that last week. It's a reference to even, even many world religions would, would fall in that category of false prophets. But actually, there's, there's Antichrist himself. Of course, you know it's not just him. He's got a sidekick, you know, who's called the false prophet. And they do. Uh, in Second Thessalonians, I remember we read, they would do lying signs and wonders and so that's in that category of false. And Jesus was very careful in Matthew 24. He said, if they tell you he's out there in the field or out there in the desert, don't go there. Don't go there. He said, it'll be as the lightning shines from the east to the west, the trumpet. I mean, there's going to be no doubt when Jesus returns. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, there's kind of like two dimensions of false prophets there. Thank you. Yep. Another question. Wait, wait, got to get you on the mic. Got to get you on the mic here. So. <laughs> when he said something about be ready, there's two ways we're going to leave this world, either by death or by the rapture. Yep. So be ready is be ready right now. Yes, absolutely. Have I him mean, in your heart right sure. now. Yes. If you don't, you're not ready. Yeah. You're not even ready for the rapture. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I can, I, can, I can guarantee you Ron was not planning on checking out that day. But you know what was cool? Is I, the, what day was it? It was Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? Wednesday. So Monday night at our awakening prayer meeting, I, mean, I saw him over there, man. He was, he was praying with all his heart, you know. And we were talking about things, you know. And so, I mean... I know he was, he was ready, you know. And you heard Pastor Terry, those of you that, that were able to come to the funeral, you, you heard him talking about his spiritual journey. You know, he was a stinker. <laughs> yeah, so, so was I. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, it's cool, though, to know, you know, to, to see. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, you just, we need to be ready all the time, you know. And um, so uh, there's actually a, Spiritual growth campaign. I've thought about doing it at Victory before. It's done by Carrie Shook at Woodlands Church, but it's called 30 Days to Live. How would your life change if you knew, knew you only had 30 days to live? What would you do differently? You know? And um, if you could say not much of anything, that's really a good sign. You know? So, uh, but I mean, obviously you would think about certain things, you know, but, but uh, spiritually speaking, you know, if you would say, you know, I'd keep witnessing. I'd keep praying. You know, I mean, that's a good sign. So, so yeah, that's that's good, Bert. Okay, another question. Yeah, Everett. Uh, don't you think that there's going to be revival take place during that persecution? Yes, absolutely. You know, and um, that probably would have been a good point to add to that. You know, it kind of fits in there 
in number four where it says we can show God's glory, and I believe we will, because Isaiah 60 prophesies that gross darkness will cover the earth, but it says the glory of God will rise upon you. So again, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house, the new wine, the best wine for last. I think, I think we'll see things that go beyond the book of Acts, you know, so... And it'll be in God's time and God's way, just like the first Pentecost was, you know. And you can't work that up or drum it up, you know. But I do believe if we just keep seeking the Lord and are open, I mean, it's like, I mean, God's getting us ready. I can tell you this year, like in Awakening here at Victory, the water level just raised a little bit. You could sense it. You know, more people were praying. More people were seeking God, you know. I mean, there's just a sense that, okay, you know, the Lord turned the rheostat up just a little bit more, you know. And so, and I, but I think that's exactly right. You know, we're going to see the biggest and best revival, you know, that the church has ever had in, in the last days. So, okay, another question, another right. question. Yeah, here. If, uh, if Israel bombs uh, Iran, yeah, and, you know, maybe this year, it looks like it's going to be pretty soon, uh, do you think that'll start a tit for tat in uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine? I think that is very possible. You know, there. If you go to, uh, and I didn't take time to uh, to uh, spend much time on this, but Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine um, prophesies a very significant war against Israel, and it's Gog, Magog you know, put and that whole thing there. And, um, but you know, so you have to, I mean, uh, some commentators actually believe this is a picture. This is another prophetic picture of the battle of Armageddon. But as I read through it, I just don't see it quite fitting that, you know, there's too many things in it that, that are different. The other thing is this, you have to ask yourself what in the world would cause our entire planet to give allegiance to Antichrist as this time goes on. What in the world would cause, I mean, nations are very proud. Nations do not easily give up their sovereignty. I mean, we all know that. We look, at, we look around the world today, they're constant, everybody's constantly fighting about borders and, you know, the whole saber rattling going on right now with Iran about the Strait of Hormuz, you know, and, and we got our carriers over there, you know, and, and we're going to protect the international waters. And, oh, it's our strait, you know. And, I mean, so nations don't just give up their sovereignty, you know. But if, if, if this were to happen, if, this, if, if, if Israel were to attack, attack Iran over the nuclear thing, and um, that would definitely set off... I'm sure a lot of the Arabs would come together, you know, and they would, because of Islam, you know, they would rally to that whole, whole thing. And that's what Ezekiel 38 is a picture of. It's a picture of all these nations coming down on Israel. But the interesting thing is, is that God steps in and really defends Israel. So, um, but you know, I mean, the world easily can misunderstand who God is and who God isn't. And so if God steps in and protects, well, guess what? All of a sudden, Islam is out of the way. You read Ezekiel 38, and it's like fire coming down from heaven. And all of a sudden, what used to be a strong Islamic block in the Middle East is no more. Well, what the, and if, you, if that turns into a nuclear war, 
do you know how much that's going to destabilize the world? Oh, my gosh. There's no telling what that will be like. Well, all of a sudden, we have this vacuum. The world's going, what do we do? Well, if Antichrist comes on the scene during that time in the power of the devil, you know, uh, you know what a lot of nations that don't know God, hey, maybe this is the dude that protected Israel. <laughs> you know, so it all goes back to the heart. You know, I mean, Second Thessalonians says that the reason people are deceived is because they don't love the truth. And uh, there's, the big deal about Antichrist in the end times is all people are going to care about is economics, food. They're not going to care about morality. They're not going to care about the God of heaven. And so it could be a wide open door where uh, Antichrist Don't you think this scene. is a part of the time when uh, Damascus is destroyed? And this is right before the uh, the tribulation. Yeah, you mean right in here? No, before or over here. Yeah, over there. Yeah, this is where I would say yeah, right. my, myself because I think it would set up this because Israel just got attacked, and so if this world ruler were to come on the scene and he would say, "Look, I'll protect you, I'll protect you," you know. So, and of course, in that scenario, that would put Ezekiel thirty-eight before this happening. But I can't. You know, this we know for sure sets off the 70th week. What we don't know is really what precipitates this. But I I would agree with you. I think there is a good chance that the war of Ezekiel 38 could be what precipitates this starting to happen. And so if you look at that, if you look at that and you look what's happening in Iran right now and you look at Israel's there is no way after the Holocaust, there is no way Israel is going to allow Iran to get an atomic weapon. They have a history of the Holocaust. They are not going to allow it. So something could happen. Well, not only that war would be really bad, but it also destabilized the whole Western world. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're on the yeah. verge right now, everything cracking up. Yep, absolutely. And there's really, there's a little verse in Ezekiel 38 that says there will be fire on the coastlands. And so I don't know what America will do, but if America does come uh, to the defense of Israel in, in any way, which I'd love to see us do, you know, but it is possible that we could take some hits too from that, you know, and um, I'll take those kind of hits. You know, but uh, but it, but five, so it would just be what would that be? Just another destabilizing factor, you know, that could set the set the scene. So the bottom line is only Jesus can solve the problems of this world, and only Jesus can rule the planet Earth. You know, so but it's going to get interesting. I'm telling you, it's going to get interesting as the labor pains get closer. But you know, you know, labor. Guess what? Lab, you know what labor brings? Labor brings the delivery of new life, yeah. new life. Awesome. Okay, another question. Yes, at the time of the rapture, would that be actually the time when Christ comes back? Would that when we actually meet him in the air when he's come back and we and we rapture at the same time? The same yes, time then? this is where he comes for his saints. In other words, we, that's First Thessalonians four. We're caught up in the air with him. We meet him in the air, you know. And um, there's a period of time between that and the. This would be Revelation nineteen here. And, uh, you know, what exactly takes place here? Uh, you know, as I've looked at that and studied that, I mean, I'm not one. I mean, it could be a time of reward. 
for where, where he's rewarding the saints and we come back and we're ready to rule. It could be the marriage supper of the lamb could be in there. It's hard really to say. We don't even, we don't know how long this is and we don't know how long this is. You know, like I said last time, if the marriage supper of the lamb is in there and, um, Hey, we could have a long feast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Does anybody believe God knows how to throw a big feast? You know? So, you know, so anyway, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just, you know, that, that, that I, I don't know. I haven't been able to like s- just come to any point where I can say, yeah, I'm absolutely sure what's happening during that time, you know, but okay. Another question, Clarence, I got to get him the mic here. Uh, a power in, uh, over in the Middle East. Do you think Egypt would get involved in this? Because like say, they just changed you know, uh, leadership and everything. With the is- more of an Islamic, yeah. uh, radical Islamic yeah. theory. Yeah, you know, there's some interesting prophecy on, on Egypt. There's prophecies both ways. There's prophecies where Egypt does some bad things. And there's prophecies, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure about the chapter. It might be Isaiah 19. But there's actually prophecies about revival happening in Egypt. That there will be a highway of the Lord there. So some of those prophecies like that, I, you know, it's hard at least for me to tell exactly when those would happen. But um, Egypt does seem to be part of this coalition here. You know, they, they they seem to fit in that. But if that were to happen out here, you know, I mean, who knows? that There could be revival happening in Egypt and here. You know, we just we just don't know exactly. But there is some prophecy both ways on Egypt, both good and bad. In fact, there's a, in Isaiah, there's some very... Strong prophecy about, about God doing some things. And, and, you know, how many of you guys know God loves all the Arab people just, just as much as any person, right? He wants them to be saved, you know. And um, he blessed Ishmael, you know. And so it's like, um, obviously, they've allowed themselves to go a wrong direction with Islam. But, but God loves them and any, any one of them. That There are some awesome Arab Christians in Israel and awesome Arab Christians in in Palestine. So we have to be careful, you know, even God, obviously there's a special part of his plan for Israel, but we just have to be careful. We don't get so political in our hearts that we say, I love Jews and hate Arabs. No, 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 no. That's not God. See, I mean, he loves Jews and he loves Arabs, but, and then we have to talk about, okay, you know, what is each one of them doing spiritually and be real and honest about that, you know, but we don't want to get political, you know, I believe we should do everything we should do to influence like our own nation. We'll, we'll probably do some preaching in 2012 about what is, how does God want us to view, you know, the elections in 2012. I guarantee you it's not about being a Republican or a Democrat. That's not what it's about, you know. And so, um, and also, ultimately, we don't know exactly what decisions will be made in America. How many of you know it won't be America that brings in the kingdom of God? Last time I checked, Jesus does not come back to New York. He comes back to the Mount of Olives in Israel. That's where he comes back. So, uh, but, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, I think there'll be a lot of Arabs saved during that time. Of course, a lot of Jewish people, you know, it actually talks about Israel looking on their Messiah whom they've pierced. And as they have a revelation during this time. They have a revelation that G, after all this time, after all this time, they realize that Jesus was their true Messiah. It's just going to break their heart, you know. But that's a good thing because 
so many of them will get saved. You know, a lot of them will get saved. And um, when Paul says there in Romans 11, and so all Israel will be saved, he's talking about, you know, spiritually for the people. And um, God loves them so much that actually during this time right here, after the rapture, and this is where you get into details, you know, and you can, but there's 144,000. I don't know if that's literal, totally literal, or if it's representative of just a lot. But 144,000, uh, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel that are sealed with the seal of God in their foreheads. God leaves them here to preach to Israel because he loves them so much. He's given them every possible chance to come to know Jesus. So they don't even go up. That, that, that special group of 144,000, God seals them and leaves them here to preach. It's cool, huh? So I think you can really see um, the heart of God, you know, and stuff like that. And why are they sealed in their foreheads? Because he's protecting them. He's protecting them from the wrath of God while they, you know, are ministering to other people. So, and again, I don't know if that's a literal number. Um, the fact that it's just, I mean, it could be, you know. I tend to lean that it's representative of a, just a large group that God will pick and use. So, anyway, all right. So, another question, another Got another? Wait a minute. Wait for the mic. Wait for the mic. Where'd the mic go? Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. wait. We got one here. Then we'll get over to you. All right, Jack. You actually answered one of my questions with the 144. Um, but at the beginning of, of the, 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 um, when, the, when the time comes for okay, the, tribu- the revealing. Okay, if, if you're wondering about using the word tribulation, this, no, no, not get that. Some, is that, that it? No, uh, it was at the beginning of the time when the, when the, um, um, yes, I'm trying to the the Antichrist when he's revealed. Yeah, is is it is it defined as to what the mark of the beast is going to be and and whether we're forced to take that or or it's a choice? It's a choice. It's absolutely nobody will be. You know, we were talking about this last week, and you can get into some pretty wild speculation. Like, okay, what if what if they capture somebody and they shoot you in the arm with some dopey drug, you know, and then they got you, and then you're, you're out of it, and they, and they put the mark on you. Are you lost, you know? <laughs> I can tell you right now the answer to that is no. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a conscious, it has to be something that you yield in your heart, you know. Um, the fact that Revelation says you can't buy or sell without it, um, you know, obviously we know it's a big uh, thing to do with economics, and the whole thing of the world, you know. But it will be, and the other thing we know from Revelation, it will be, it will involve worship. So like what we said last time, it's not just having 666 on your credit card and they surprised you, you know. So that's not it. No, it, it, there will be no question. And I don't know what it is, but when you think about buying or selling, and it talks about a mark on your forehead and your hand and all that. Right now, they've got pet ID chips They've got the ability. I mean, never before in the history of the world has there been the ability to do that. Now they've got multiple ways to do it, you know. And um, so what what exactly it will turn out, you know, and and how you go about. But there will have to be, just like in the book of Daniel with the um, Hebrew children, they, they were asked to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. 
So there was worship involved. So it's not something that's going to sneak up on us. I don't know exactly what it'll look like or exactly how it'll happen, but it's not something that's going to sneak up on us. And um, if somehow, you know, if somehow they were able to drug you and put the mark on you, I guarantee you, you know, God would take care of you. So, but uh, probably that's a situation where God won't even let it happen. Just won't even let it happen. So, but um, does that help, Jack? Okay. All right. Uh, Mary Jane, yes. Okay. So aren't the majority of Christians uh, here in North America, of course, I mean, I know we have Rome, but uh, the, the majority, I mean, it's not in, in Britain or Africa or uh, India. So how does or where does America then fit into the end times? I mean, we, we know Christ is coming there to Israel. We're a long way from Israel. I know we will see him because he already yeah. prophesied that. The whole world will. Mm-hmm. But since we are the Christians. Yeah, now let me say now today in 2012, it's, it's really the majority of Christians really is no longer in America and Europe. Now we have a very long history, of course, yes. of Christian heritage. And so does Europe. But really, Europe... We, we kind of are becoming like Europe, but Europe is, abs- with the exception of newer churches Rome. that are being okay. planted where the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully and, and raising up churches that are alive, Europe is essentially decadent spiritually. Right? So, yeah. I mean, so. huge, cath- the, the cathedrals in Europe would fit the picture of, uh, if somebody were to try to glorify those, right. they would fit the picture of what Jesus said. You see these stones? So it's empty spiritually, you know. They're beautiful. There's actually one right now that's been being built for like 400 years, and they're still building it. Yes, it's beautiful. Preserving it and keeping it. It doesn't say a thing about where people. In fact, it it can actually almost become a Tower of Babel, you know, and and be representative of all the wrong stuff. But anyway, there's been powerful revival in China, in Korea. I mean, pastor, the largest church in the world today is Pastor Cho's church in Seoul, Korea. A uh, small little church of 900,000 people. It's like, uh, what would that be? About four times the population of our county, <laughs> you know? And so powerful revival that happened there after the Japanese occupation. And so uh, Africa has had powerful revival. So there's Christians all over the world today. And as far as you know, a lot of people do ask that America in prophecy. I did mention that one verse in Ezekiel 38 about fire in the coastlands, so we could take some hits there. Um, I don't see any. I don't see any one nation anywhere in the Scripture okay. taking a lead in somehow challenging Antichrist. And let me tell you why I think that is. That's because God is not building a nation; He's building the church. church. It's going to be the church that stands up. It's going to be the church in every nation that takes the lead in bringing glory to God. And so I don't think uh, America is necessarily any worse or better, you know, than a lot of other nations, you know. And um, I think actually as we get closer to the rule of Antichrist, since he will have a certain amount of power over the entire planet, in the economic system of the world, I think actually, the, you know, so many nations will come under that, uh, that the issue of nations won't be a significant issue anyway. So, 
Yes, ma'am. I have two questions. Okay. Um, one where you said Satan will be thrown down to the earth. Mm-hmm. Is that in Revelations and where? That is in Revelation, yes. Do you, do you remember? I think it's chapter 12. Okay. And as far as the Antichrist being revealed in the temple, when the temple is rebuilt, yes. and it's, it's not rebuilt now, right? No, it's not. And the temple is in The Israel? temple would be definitely in Jerusalem. Okay. And so you guys know right now there's a big you know, thing going on between uh, Palestine and Israel about the whole thing of, of, you know, the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock, you know, and all that. Well, if, if all this stuff were to happen here, if God were to protect Israel in Ezekiel 38 and deliver them from all that Islamic persecution, what, would it, what, what do you think would happen? It would be the kind of a thing where they go, wow, man, look what happened. We need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to our faith, you know. Well, what is their faith? They still don't know Jesus yet, so they would build the temple. And because of some of the Islamic um, issues having been moved out of the way because of that war, I think it would definitely, um, I mean, there's three and a half years here. That's plenty of time to build a temple. And I think that's when it would get built. Because actually, to be honest, I don't think without a disruption of the world, I don't think the world would hardly even accept any more animal sacrifices. It would be, you know, every protective group in the world that protects animals would probably rise up, you know. But uh, if all of a sudden there had been nuclear war and God protected Israel, uh, it just might make it possible. <laughs> so, yeah, Gary. Uh, do you have a, a website that you go to to keep up with uh, current events and related to Bible prophecy? You know, I, 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 hit, I try to hit different ones. You know, I don't have any one in particular, of course, there's the Jerusalem Post if you want to know what's happening over in Israel. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I like to learn from everybody I possibly can, you know. So, um, I mean, Perry Stone is classic pre-tribulation, but I listen to Perry. Uh, um, who was the guy he talked to on, on TBN? Dr. Erwin Baxter. He's post-trib, you know, and I listen to, to um, uh, what he has to say, I don't quite agree with his interpretation of Revelation, but but I just uh, another another th- this you know kind of this this positioning of the rapture is sometimes called the pre-wrath rapture. It, it's not pre-tribulation because the tribulation is actually very short. It's just this time. It's the time from Antichrist coming in the temple till the time Jesus takes us out. Because after that, it's not the tribulation; it's the wrath of God. You know. And uh, you can read it. We don't have time to go there tonight. But in that scripture that I've got there under taking the prophetic word to heart, 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 15, describes that. It says, the heavens will be on fire. (laughs) It's just like, that's this right here. (laughs) That's this time right here. And it's a purging. It's a cleansing. It's getting earth ready for the millennium. It's getting the earth ready for Jesus to rule planet earth in a right way, you know. And uh, so um, when it talks about new heavens and a new earth, it's not talking about new in the sense of brand new. It means it's new in the sense of remade. Okay? It's, uh, it's going to be different, very different. Yeah, purged, cleansed. But um, so uh, th- this earth is not going to disappear in the sense of, you know, I mean, God's just going to purge it by fire. And actually, Second Peter there in that passage, it, it actually compares it to Noah. It says, okay, in Noah's day, the earth was overflowed with water. 
Now the heavens and the earth are kept in store for fire. So this is going to be the complete job this time. <laughs> We're going to have a brand new earth, you know. And um, so, and you and I are with Jesus during the time that that begins here. So, okay, another que- any other question? I know we've been going here a ways, so. Yes, At- ma'am. After the time of fire, what can we expect to come back to? Is it written anywhere? Well, you know, I mean, it doesn't tell us exactly how Jesus um, purges and cleanses all that, but, but there's lots of prophecy about the millennium. It talks about being green. It talks about the lion and the, and the lamb. It says anybody that dies at 100 will be thought to die young. See, those are people that have come out. Those are people that, that um, you know, either got saved during that time after the rapture because th- those people don't get a resurrection body right away. And, uh, or people that go into the millennium, you know, that anybody that did not take the mark of the beast, that did not worship Antichrist, is going to go into the millennium. But they'll go in with a natural body. So, and you and I will be in, in resurrection bodies. But, uh, and to show you what's absolutely crazy, this is what's crazy, but it does illustrate the depth of evil, the, the terribleness of sin. Satan is locked up for a thousand years. Well, at the end, it says he's got to be loose for a little season. Well, why is that? Because there's people in the millennium that have accepted Christ or they actually see Christ literally before him. But there needs to be a little test there. There needs to be a little test. Okay. Are the, you know, we have our time coming. They're going to have their time coming. Are they going to, do they, are, do they really, are they going to follow Jesus, you know? And so what it says, there's actually an army. <laughs> now, you know, come on, gang. If Jesus is there in the flesh, you know, ruling from Jerusalem and, and people are living for hundred, over a hundred years, you know, why would you want to rebel against Jesus? It shows you the power of the lies of Satan. That's why it's so important to learn to renew our minds and cast down thoughts that come from the devil because he'll do everything he can to try to take you off track, you know. And uh, so, you know, at, at the very end, it says they go up against Jerusalem and there's no seven years or nothing like that. It just says fire comes down from heaven, poof, and devours up. That's it. Crispy critters all gone. <laughs> it's like, and why? I think there's a little less grace when they've been with Jesus that whole millennium time. So, and then, you know, I mean, we, we really go into this kind of the state of eternity and, and there's less written about that even than there is about the millennium, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be an awesome, wonderful, beautiful time, you know, but yet actually it's not a complete release yet from everything because, you know, there will, the the people that are in their natural bodies, they'll live a whole lot longer. It's almost like going back to Methuselah's day, you know, they'll live a whole lot longer, but, um, but they will still die. So, but ultimately out into eternity future for after that, there will be, no more death, not, you know, everything will be completely over, you know. So this is the, God works in ages, so we are in this age, which is the New Testament age, the age of grace. The next age is the millennial age. And the best I can understand, the age after the millennial age is eternity, it goes out into eternity. So, Okay. All right. Hey, I've kept you guys a long time, so um, I think we'll wrap it up. If you have any other questions, hey, I'll be up here. Um, I can't guarantee I'll answer them, you know. 
but uh, that I'll know the answer. But um, I, I do have to say, you know, I mean, I've been kind of studying this stuff for about 30 years. I feel, I feel, um, uh, and again, I think it's true what I said in the beginning. We're not, not going to know everything that's going to happen until we actually kind of walk into it, you know. So I, I could have a few things, you know, easily, um, you know, could vary a little bit. But uh, I, have, I, I do have to say, you know, I feel, I feel at least some of the major points I've given you, you know, in this study, I think are pretty solid Bible stuff, you know. So, okay. So did you guys get anything out of this? Yeah. All right, good. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this this four weeks, Lord, I know it's just, it's like part of awakening, Lord. You are wakening us up to be the church and the people and everything that you want us to be, Lord, in these days. So I just pray, continue that work in our hearts. And uh, Lord, we know it's not only for us, but Lord, it's for others that you want us to reach and touch, Lord, in our community, in our world. So help us do that. And uh, we just thank you for it. And I pray you give a safe trip home to everybody tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Thank you. You guys are a great group. Awesome.